All right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. It sounds like loud applause because the rain outside is, that's like amazing. Sounds like a jet going over. All right, well, we want to welcome each of you to our service this morning. Just thank you for uh, coming. For those of you that are joining us online, we want to welcome you as well. And uh, just have a real quick announcement about an event that we're going to be doing next Sunday afternoon. Uh, We've been invited to uh, Victor and Diana Kelly's house for an outdoor uh, kind of a sing-along. If you're uh, my age, you probably remember something called Hymn Sings where we would gather as a church and uh, share in singing songs together. So that'll be next Sunday afternoon at 5.30. So if you watch the email, uh, you'll get an update on that with all the details. You need to bring chairs with you. Uh, But it's going to be a really wonderful time. And also, obviously, our desire is to be an encouragement to the Kelly family as a whole. So they've extended the invitation. We said yes. And uh, we're going to look forward to a beautiful time. You do need to bring your own chair. Okay, and we will socially distant, but because we're outside, you won't need to wear a mask. And all God's people said, all right. Okay. Uh, Also want to just welcome Louise. Hi, Louise. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, We had the memorial service for uh, Cy last Saturday evening and just a really beautiful time. Your sons did an outstanding job, Louise, with uh, their tributes. It was really, really a sweet and beautiful time. So, uh, thank you, and, and it's just great to have you here, see you with us. So let's, uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer. I do want to say Les Clefman is going to be uh, leading us in worship this morning. He's Carmelo's father-in-law, and he's got an announcement he's going to make uh, before he starts playing in song. So let me just lead us in prayer together. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for the opportunity that we do have to gather together this morning, even if it is slightly restrained uh, by the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We thank you, God, that we can be the church, we can be your people in all circumstances, in all places, in all relationships. God, let us not have our zeal dimmed uh, by circumstances. Let us keep our mind on the ultimate prize, and may we As Jesus said in the Gospels, may we buy the pearl, may we pursue that which matters most in spite of the circumstances, undeterred. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would be just deeply driving us and motivating us to minister to people in this season of struggle. Uh, The opportunities, Lord, are abundant. Give us such a, 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 a great love for Christ that we can't be quiet about the prize that matters most, and that is Jesus Christ himself. So as we sing this morning, uh, God, be lifted up, be glorified. For those that are listening online, let us together lift our hearts to you. I pray your blessing over the Hyde family as they walk through this season of adjustment with the uh, homegoing of Sai to be with you, Lord. I pray that you would just uh, pour your blessing over their business, over all the effort that they put forth. God, give them strength to fill the gap uh, that is left uh, in size loss. And uh, for the Kelly family, God, we just continue to pray for grace and mercy to be evidenced in beautiful and powerful and healing ways in Diana's life, God. We trust you completely, Lord, and we believe that you are able to do more than we can ever ask or think. God bless our time this morning. Let your word from James be 
uh, driven by your spirit and powerful and insightful and life-changing. And for each one listening online, God, we pray just that the blessing of Christ would flow very powerfully to them as they watch and listen together with us this morning. We pray for these blessings because of and in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So let's going to make an announcement and then we're going to join in worship. It is my privilege to announce that my daughter and son-in-law gave birth to a baby boy, Theodore Paul Kier. We are grateful to the Lord. Both mother and child are doing well. Uh, Born Monday night. I try to remember all the statistics, but I'm not good at that kind of stuff. It's good enough that I remembered his full name, Theodore Paul Kier. So we are pleased. And uh, so you got a pinch hitter today. But uh, the Lord is still present, and he still desires our praise. And I don't know about you, but my soul needs to be reminded that it needs to bless the Lord. My soul sometimes wants, doesn't want to do that. But the psalmist directs his soul to bless the Lord, and that's what we're going to do this morning. Please stand. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. Bless Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me. Let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. You're rich in love. Slow to anger, your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. 
Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. And on that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, oh His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul I'll worship your holy name Bless the Lord, oh my soul Oh my soul Worship His holy name Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name, I'll worship your holy name, Lord, I'll worship your holy the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. could imagine so great a mercy what heart could fathom such boundless grace the God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken I am forgiven, the King of kings calls me his own. 
beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me then came the morning that sealed the promise your very body began to of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Sing it now, hallelujah. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Its grip on me, you have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Alleluia. Praise the one who set me free. Alleluia. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free, hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me, you have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ. My living hope, Jesus Christ, my living hope, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Lord, we thank you that you are indeed our living hope. Thank you that you have called us to yourself, that you have given us 
your life, the abundant life. The scriptures actually say that we enter into the life of the Godhead, and we are so grateful for that life and that love that you've bestowed upon us. Now teach us, speak to us through James this morning, for Jesus' sake and for our good. In his name, amen. Good morning. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to uh, Genesis chapter 23? Genesis chapter 23. So we have been uh, on this journey with Abraham, and uh, it's called Abraham, a journey of faith, but uh, we can't forget that he had a wife with him on this long journey. And this wife, Sarah, has been with him from the very beginning. Uh, Sixty plus years before, they were called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And they were called to a land that they did not know. And, and Sarah and Abram were leaving to a place that they did not know. But what they had received was a promise. They had received a promise from God. A promise that they would have a seed a child, a nation would be formed out of them, a multitude of people that would be formed out of this union between Abraham and Sarah. They received the promise not only of that, but they've also received a promise of land, that they're going to have this great land that is going to be there for them, and land that their future children are going to be there for. It's an amazing promise And time after time, we have seen through their lives, they've had some ups, they've had some downs, they've had some challenges, they've had some troubles, but who among us don't have those same things? We we struggle in this life. We are not perfect people. But when they wed, I don't know if they use the line as is often used in many weddings, till death do us part. Well, it's now... Abraham's turn, unfortunately, to to bury his wife. Some of us in this congregation have even recently lost a spouse and that uh, the pain of the loss uh, is immediate, but then that pain goes on and on for quite a long time. And for those of us that are in faith, we have God that is there to support us in those times, but it doesn't mean that these times are not extremely painful. Extremely difficult. I want you to see with me what Abraham does in his life as he's losing his wife. You'll find very interesting that there's only like three verses that are spoken of about Sarah's death and how Abraham handled Sarah's death. The rest of the chapter seems to be something ambiguous. It's like he's purchasing a land to bury his wife. And Why are we taking up 18 verses of this chapter to talk about the place he's going to bury his wife and only three verses that talk about the loss of his wife? Well, hopefully we'll see by the end of this sermon. Would you read with me here in Genesis chapter 23? It says this, Sarah lived 127 years. That's a great age. And these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for burying 
place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the Hittites answered, Abraham, hear us, almighty Lord. Um, You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of the tombs. None of us will withhold uh, from you his tomb or hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to Hittites, the people of the land. He said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat Ephron, the son of Zophar, that he may give me a cave of Mepila, which he owns. It is the end of this field for the full price. Let me give it to him in your presence, the property for my burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron, the Hittite, answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, all who went in the gate of the city, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field. I will give the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of people, I will give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land. But if you will hear me, I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me, and I will bury my dead there. Ephron said, answered Abraham, Oh, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver? What is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron. And he weighed out the uh, Ephron, the silver, that was named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron at Mechpelah, which was the east of Mamre, the field with a cave in it, and the trees that were in the field throughout the whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in the gate. And after this, Abram buried Sarah in the field in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So this is the uh, sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, life-changing word. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we are talking about a very difficult subject. We're talking about death. Father, it's one of those topics that we we don't like to talk about. It's one of those topics that is so uncomfortable for us. Some of us avoid it like the plague. Some of us joke around about it. But very few of us sit down and have really deep, intimate conversations about it. Father, Sarah's life was was a model. A model that you gave to us in her, not a perfect woman by any stretch, but she trusted you. She trusted in your promise, and then you took her to your presence. I pray that we would hear that today. Through the heartache, Father, that we go through, I pray that we would have hope, and I pray that you would remind us that you are the one that brings us into your presence, the precious Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So death is um, not a very easy topic. I wonder when was the last time you actually had a conversation with someone about death. Um, Abraham, I don't know whether he had time with his wife Sarah or not, but 
The reality is, is that she lived 127 years. In all likelihood, at this time, his, her son, Isaac, is 37 years old. He's not married yet, but he's 37 years old. And I don't know how many years it's been since he was sacrificed or to be sacrificed, which we just not talked about last week. But in those 127 years, maybe Abraham and Sarah had spent 100 years with each other. You know, a hundred years with this one person, through all the ups and downs and all the pains and all the trials and all the troubles and all the loss, because this is not the first loss that they've had in a hundred years. They've had many, but there is something different about this time of loss. You know, we never hear of Abraham crying except for this moment in time. It's the only time we hear of him crying. It's interesting, he didn't cry when he left his land of the Chaldeans and left his father and his homeland. He didn't cry when he heard that Lot had swindled him or attempted to swindle him. He didn't cry when he heard that his family had been taken captive. He didn't cry when he was called to sacrifice his son Isaac on the cross. But he's crying here before his wife, which is normal, which is natural. Grief is, is normal. It's, it's really a, a healthy response to dealing with loss. And so many of us have dealt with it. Something valuable in your life has gone. You've placed an emotional investment in this person. You've placed an emotional investment in this thing. And now it is gone. But the greatest loss for many of us is the death of a loved one. But it is healthy to go through this time of grief. It is healthy to understand that this loss is great. Sometimes as Christians, we do a disservice to our believers, our fellow brothers and sisters, when we give them the impression that they cannot grieve at the loss of their family member or their friend. As though they're not showing great faith in God if they are grieving. Well, Jesus took this time before his friend's tomb to weep. So grief is to be expected, and there's a healthy way to grieve. Grief is an adjustment that people have to go through. It's, it's a, trying to find a sense of normalcy that is happening in life. And this spontaneous thing that has happened, that they've lost this person that has been with them for so long. And now everything seems to have changed. For some, I sit in counseling with who go through experience of emotional ups and downs, anger at times, fear Sometimes crying spells, depression. I don't know if you've ever been there. Sometimes I've had people sit in my office who struggle with feeling guilty because they should have done something different in the loss of this uh, loved one. For sometimes, some people go through great trials where they're denying this. There's some irrational beliefs that come out as they go through this. Sometimes they struggle with concentrating. Sometimes they're just so focused on this person that has lost Sometimes I find that people go through these emotional outbursts. They struggle with not even taking care of their own bodies, not eating, not sleeping. Because they've lost this person that is so very near to them. Some lose weight, some gain weight. Some go through spiritual struggles as well. They find themselves angry with God or frustrated. They feel spiritually overwhelmed. They they sometimes interpret the loss as a punishment. 
that God is punishing them in some way because of this loss. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. There's an isolation that tends to happen with grief. Everybody seems to be around the first week. Everybody seems to be around around the time of the burial, but then after that, slowly but surely, people stop calling. They stop texting. They stop connecting with you. They've moved on with their lives, but you haven't been able to because the loss is still there. So I want you to know that Abraham grieved. I so appreciate the fact that Abraham took time to mourn for his wife. What would have happened in this time is that there would have been the body placed in a tent and the loved one would have gone into that tent and mourned over the body for a period of time. Abraham did that. And as Abraham is preparing to think about the loss of his loved one and Sarah is gone, he is thinking probably like you probably have. After I've lost somebody, I go back through my mind and I start to think of the incredible times that we've had. I think of, I think of their laughter. I think of the, the way they looked. I think of those stupid things that we used to do. I think of the most embarrassing moments that we've had together. I, I start to think of all those things. And as you go through this, I'm wondering, as, as Abraham is standing before the body of his wife, is he not thinking over a hundred years of us being together? And thinking of this beautiful woman, I want you to remind, remind yourself that this woman in her 70s or 80s is so remarkably attractive externally that Abraham, in his foolishness, put her into another man's home on two occasions because he's trying to save himself. But that must tell you about the beauty of this woman externally. But there was more to Sarah than just the beauty externally because there is no other woman in Scripture that we are told to look to as an example except for Sarah. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2, we find that she is called a person that we should be looking to as an example. And Peter did the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, when he's talking about a wife and a wife who's going to symbolize Christ-likeness in her marriage, he says, don't let your braiding hair or makeup or the jewelry that you wear, but be a person of a changed heart, an inner spirit. And he says, that is who Sarah was. Man, this is an incredible woman. I also want you to know something else. Fact, there is no other woman in Scripture whose date of their death or age at their death is given at their death. No other woman. Of all the women in Scripture, Sarah is the only one whose recorded age of death is in Scripture. She's a special woman. The Bible doesn't call us to look to Mary. It doesn't call us to look to Ruth. It doesn't call us to look to Naomi. It doesn't call us to look to um, Esther. It doesn't call us to look to any other woman except this woman. Why? Well, she was a woman of faith. And her husband, as we look to and we've been looking through this series, he's been on this journey of faith. And yes, we look at Abraham's faith, but right beside him is this strong woman who loved him. Now, she's not perfect, we remember. Um, there were times that she laughed 
at thinking that she was going to bear a child. There were other times that she gave her husband to Hagar because she didn't trust the promise. There were other times that when she was called out on laughing, she lied to God. Yes, she did those things, but I'm telling you, if that's what I have on my resume after 127 years, that I laughed that somebody, I'm going to give birth at 90 years old, or that I was using some cultural things to try to help, wrong as it was, she was a woman of great courage and a woman of great faithfulness. We see here in verse 2 that Abraham mourned her. He, he wept over his wife. You know, it tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, that we grieve in this world. We do, but we grieve with what? Hope. Abraham had great hope of what was going to happen with Sarah. He knew that there was an eternity awaiting. He knew that he was going to see his wife again. He knows even less than we do. We know, as you read scripture, about the beauty of heaven, the wonder of the new life after this, that this is only a temporal life, but there is life after life. James Boyce said this in his commentary, to weep for a loved one is to show that we've been close, that the loss is keenly felt, that death is an enemy, And that sin has brought the sad punishment upon the human race. Every single one of us, one of the wages of sin is what? Death. Every person I look at in this congregation, I do not want to be morbid, but the reality is every single person in this congregation will take your last breath one day unless Jesus Christ returns. And the question is this, for you and for me, is this, are we going to live well? I was talking with a friend just the other day, and this friend was saying, I'm really worried about the dash of my life. And I wasn't completely sure what he meant by that. And he says that my, my year of birth, 1965, he said, I don't know what the year of my death is, but I want to make the dash important. And the question is, are you making the dash of your life important? We did not have any control of the day of our birth, and ultimately we will not have control of the day of our death, but we do have control of every day in between. And Sarah lived a life of honor and grace. We see in verses 3 through 9 that Abraham gets up from the body of his wife, and now what he does is he goes through this process of trying to bury his wife. And every single one of us who have lost a a spouse or a loved one, we have gone through the same thing. We have to get up from their body, and now we have to go to a funeral home, or we have to make arrangements for their funeral. That's, in essence, what Abraham is doing here. In verse 3, he says he rose from before his dead and went to the Hittites. He's living in the Hittite land right now. And he said this, and we're going to come back to this. He says, I am a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Give me property for a burying place. I will tell you this, that in this culture, a sojourner or an alien was not a property owner. So what he was asking for was going to go beyond what the culture was asking of and what the culture expected. He says, I want a place to bury my wife here. Why here? 
See, most of us, if you think, most of us will think about, we want to bury our family members back in our homeland. Why would you not take them back to your homeland? We just saw a funeral just this week of a, a politician where they were in Washington and they took them back to their homeland. Why would we not take our family member back to Ur of the Chaldeans? Abraham says, I am a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the Hittites said, they, they go through this thing and they talk about the respect that they have for Abraham. Abraham lived a life of just great respect in that culture. His name was to be valued. Now, they may not have agreed with his beliefs. They may not have agreed with his um, religious stance, but they looked at him as an honorable man. I wonder how many of us are looked at that way out in the culture. I wonder how many of us have looked that way in in the church. Abraham was not only looked at that way in his church, but he looked at that way in the culture. And what we saw in that reading is that Abraham is looking to buy a piece of land, and all he says is, I just want that one cave there so that I can bury my wife. And what's going to go through here is the way the custom is. Abraham is going to go to the gate. He is then going to negotiate for the purchase of this land, the purchase of this one tomb. And what he says is, I want to buy this tomb. And he says, I have a specific tomb in mind. I would like to buy that cave as a tomb for my wife. And it is owned by this man over here. But what this man does, once again, negotiating, it sounds like, you know, Abraham, you're a righteous man, a respected man. Do whatever you would like. Take whatever cave. But they're negotiating. Just don't don't misunderstand this. They're making it sound like they're going to give him this cave, but they're not giving him this cave for nothing. He's an alien, he's a stranger, and it, uh, it reminds me of this, that sometimes when people go through great times of grief, they are going to be manipulated by others. And Abraham is recognizing that, uh, you know, this is just a game, but he goes through the game. And he says, I, I'm, I am going to offer the price for this cave. And he, he says, I'll offer the price for this cave, I want this specific cave. And now the man Ephron says this, I can't take money from you. I'll give you the cave. Have you ever negotiated that way? It's like, you know, you start out and then all of a sudden you really tell him what you want. Well, that's what he's doing here. He says, I'll give it to you for free. He really didn't mean that. Because it comes out in just a couple of seconds. He says, I will sell it to you for what? 400 shekels of silver. We don't know what that is today, but I will tell you that is a lot of money. And if you look at other parts of scripture, for a cave and a piece of land, Abraham was taken advantage of by this guy. But what we notice about Abraham is this. Abraham allowed it to happen. It wasn't like he was so caught up in his grief that he was making poor financial choices. Abraham decided, I'm going to pay this. And what he did was this. In this culture, we didn't have contracts that we signed. What we do is we do it in the presence of the witnesses. And so now, in the presence of the witnesses, you have told me, I can purchase this cave. And all I wanted was the cave, but now you're giving me the land as well around it. I will purchase your cave, and I will purchase the land around it for this exorbitant price. I'm going to do it. 
Why would he do that? Well, he negotiates the price, and he buries his wife there. He bowed down to them. He buys the field. He buries his wife. I want you to know that this is not just any field. (laughs) This is not just any piece of property. This is the property and the land that God had promised to his descendants. This was the property and the land that God was going to promise. He was saying, I'm going to give you a child, a seed, and then he has also told you, I will give you a land for your people. And Abraham, by faith, is trusting God in the midst of his grief to hold on to the promises. He's going from his heartache to hope. And that's exactly where you and I need to go. That in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the trials of your life, you need to hold on to the promises of God, the hope of God, knowing that he is with you. Abraham was in the chapter before reminding himself of the promise as he's getting ready to ram this knife into his child. He remembers the promise of God. And the promise of God is this. You will have children through this man. So Abraham knows, if I'm going to take this child's life, he must be able to raise him from the dead. And then God has not only promised me a child, he has promised me a land. I'm going to bury my wife here. I'm going to bury my wife here. Right now, I cannot see that this is my land. It's the Hittite land. I cannot see that this is going to be our place. But I am trusting your word, God. In the midst of the troubles and the trials and the difficulties of life, this is so important for you and for me. That as you go through your difficulties today, I need you to hear this. And as you go through the trials and the ups and downs, you need to be able to love God, but you need to be able to love his word. You need to be able to hold on to his word and hold on to his promises because your feelings will go up and down, I can guarantee you. But the one thing that will never change is the word of God. The word of God stands forever and Abraham built his life on it. He says, I'm going to bury my wife here. Hundreds of years later, his people are going to get that land. Hundreds of years later, his people are going to leave their captivity in Egypt. Hundreds of years later, they are going to leave their captivity in Egypt and they are going to find themselves going to this promised land. I find it interesting that uh, Abraham was buried in this land. Isaac was buried in this land. Rebekah was buried in that area. Jacob was buried in that area. Joseph said, even as I die in Egypt, I want you to take my bones. When you guys get the promised land, I want you to take my bones to this promised land. Because they did what? They trusted God. So many of us struggle with death. So many of us struggle with trying to cling to this life. I need you to know that death... It's not a punishment if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, or God said through Paul in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now what? No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. 
It's not a punishment for your sin. It is a penalty that has befallen all of us. But the beautiful thing about death is this. Our death is only opening us a benefit to life to come. I'm not sure why God chose to do it this way, but God chose to give us the benefits of salvation gradually over time. And as we go through this life, we have a date of our conversion, and then we move forward in this life, and we grow, and then he takes us to glory. Death is not a punishment to you. Death is a wonderful opportunity for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, it says, Then comes the end, and when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And a little bit later on, in verses 54 and 55, is the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Death was swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, death, where is thy sting? Death does not have power over us because we know where we're going. It is life to life. And just a little blip of death. For us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, death is going to be a reality. But for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, life is as well. If you sit here this morning and you hear my voice, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or a non-Christian, you may experience the same things. You may experience disease. You may experience accident. You may experience trials. You may experience natural disasters. All of us are going to have to face that last enemy. But the last enemy for the believer is the open door for hope in the future. I've had some people sit with me as they are nearing death and they wonder if God is punishing them for their harm. I can guarantee you this, that God for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is not punishing them for their harm. Some of it is just the fallen, broken world that we live in. Sometimes we are being disciplined for our good, but ultimately, whatever the trial, whatever the trouble, we can be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of righteousness, as he says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Or in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it says that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in death. We have this huge privilege to go to death with hope. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Rejoice in so far as you share in the sufferings of Christ, and you may rejoice and be glad when glory is revealed. We, we have this privilege, as even as we go through death, that we are connecting with Christ in some way. Because as Jesus Christ lived his life on this earth, he died as well for you and for me if you trust in him. Paul said this, I do not account my life of any value, as precious to myself, if only I may accomplish my course in my ministry. Paul had one goal in mind in Acts 20. The people were saying, if you go, you will be imprisoned and you will be killed. And Paul says, I only have one thing that I want. I want to finish my course. One of my favorite passages is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished my race, I have kept the faith. We don't have to fear death if you're a believer. 
So how are you supposed to handle death if it's your own death? Scripture says that you should have joy. There should be a hope of recognizing that even as painful and as troubling, as difficult as it will be to let go of earth, we should be looking forward to heaven and looking forward to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and being with him forever and ever and ever. You remember the passage in Philippians 1, it says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. And if it be this life in the flesh that I may be fruitful labor, yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed on both sides. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, and that is far better. I want you to think about heaven as far better. We cling to this earth. We cling stubbornly to this earth, and there is eternity that awaits you. But we're talking about the death of a, a friend. We're talking about the death of a relative. How am I supposed to handle that? I challenge you, if you have ever been one that would ever say to somebody that they should not grieve at the loss of a spouse or a loved one or child, and you throw these verses and these cliches at them, shut your mouth. Jesus stood before his friend's tomb. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. And Jesus took time to experience with them and to weep. We need to do the same. It's not wrong to grieve. Never is. It's not wrong to to mourn the loss. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, it tells us to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. Be with somebody in the midst of their pain. See, that's the, that's the thing about grief. It really should be a community thing where we come alongside each other and grieve with each other. I want you to remember that as you go through times of grief that this is not your home. Did you see the line here where Abraham said in verse 4, I am a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Abraham knew that I am laying my wife's body down on this earth, but my wife is now with eternity with God. You and I need to know the same. This world is not our home. Do not cling to it. Your home is eternity with God. It's far better. I want you to know that in the midst of your heartache, you can have hope because he's hoping for a life after life. As the thief was hanging on the cross, you remember, and Jesus said, what? Today you will be with me where? In paradise. Paradise. Out of this pain, out of this misery, out of even your sin and your failures, you're going to be with me today in paradise. So as you grieve, grieve with hope. I want you to know that the greatest treasure that you will ever have is never going to be found on earth. It's never going to be found in material possessions. It won't even be found in the personal relationships that you have here. Your greatest treasure, your greatest inheritance, your greatest hope, your greatest joy, your greatest peace is found in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you get a chance to go to him. The superior pleasures of Christ. Without a um, really good doctrine of heaven, you can't live with hope. 
I don't know how people without a belief and a life after life could ever go through the grief and troubles that we go through. I challenge you to learn about heaven. Learn about a place where God is going to rescue you from this world. Learn about a place where God is comforting you by his grace. Learn about a place where sin is gone and you are getting to spend time at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're getting to connect with other brothers and sisters or family members in a way that you could never connect here on earth. The practical theology of heaven will bold you strong in the midst of the great trials today. But I should say this. There are only two destinies. And all of this great thing about eternity and hope, and joy, and peace, and paradise is only for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ leaves this earth, they go to the greatest hope, the greatest peace, the greatest treasure, the greatest joy that they could ever imagine. They go to Jesus Christ as their Savior. But I need you to know this, that there is a second reality. The second reality is that there is an eternal hell. For those who have never trusted in Christ, there's an eternal hell where you will meet God as your judge, not as your Savior. God under his wrath, not under his grace. And as we are assigned eternally in heaven for those that believe in Christ, we will be assigned eternally for those that are outside of Christ. I beg of you, if you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I pray today is the day that you will hear the torrents of rain as we hear it this morning, the torrents of God's grace coming down upon you that you will recognize that Jesus is the only one that reverses the curse, that he bore God's wrath on the cross for you. You will either bear it yourself or you can allow Jesus to be the substitute for you. I pray that you would hear the grace that is poured down upon you day after day after day. And I pray that you would not come to a place like the other thief on the cross. The other guy on the cross saw the same Christ, saw the same message, heard the same message of hope. One accepted, the other rejected. One went to a paradise, the other one went to an eternity in hell. Abraham had no doubt that as a sojourner in this land, this was not his home. He believed the promise of God for a seed. He believed the promise of God for a land. But he also knew this, as the writer to the Hebrews tells us, his land was not this land. His purchase of property was not earthly. He was looking forward to an eternity with his father. I pray today would be the day that you would remind yourself that This world is not all there is. I pray today, today as you go through your troubles and trials and difficulties, I pray today that you would 
hear God's grace pouring down upon you. I pray today you would hear this message that you desperately need a Savior. As we heard last week, Abraham was called to sacrifice his son Isaac, a sure death. But Abraham then trusted that God was going to provide a lamb, and he did. He provided a lamb, a ram caught in the thickets, but then he provided a greater lamb, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who have never trusted in Christ today, I pray today is the day that you would think about this. What are you going to do when you take your last breath? And who are you going to be standing before at that moment in time? Stand in the grace of Christ. Stand in the wonder of Christ. Stand in the mercy of Christ. Bow your knee today while you still have an opportunity. Let today be the day of your salvation so that when your family member dies or when you die, your family member can have great confidence in knowing this. I am missing them today, but I will see them in eternity. Isn't that the hope that you want? It's the hope that I desperately cling to. So, Lord, we, we pray today as we, as we think about Abraham and the heartache that he must have been going through, the heartache and the trials, the pain, the loss. Father, there's been so many losses in Abraham's life, and he could have ma- magnified those in his life, the loss of his homeland initially. The loss when it came to Lot. The loss when it came to almost losing his son. And now the loss of his wife. But Father, he did not focus on the losses. He focused on the surplus. He focused not on the deficits, but the surplus. He focused on what you had given him. You had given him a new land. You had given him a son, multiple sons, multiple children. He had given him a wife of over a hundred years and you've given him eternity that he is going to see his wife again and he did. I pray for us today that you would remind us that it's not about this earth. It's not about this moment. Help us to think about the dash and help us to live every day of that dash by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close? I will say this. If there is one here who has never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, who has never come to a place where they've bent the knee to the Son, Scripture tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will do that either voluntarily today or we will do that in eternity. But after we take our last breath, there is no hope of salvation after that. There is no purgatory. There is no hope for being redeemed after we take our last breath. So today is the day of your salvation. I pray today is that. If you want to know about that, I pray that you would come to one of us. We would love to sit down and talk with you today. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before his presence with his glory and with great joy. 
to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a blessed day.